Welcome, I'm Gary Parr, Editorial Director, Efficient Plant Magazine, and our subject this time is Automatic Lubrication Systems. And here to help us understand them and specify them, from lubrication engineers, we have Dean Hams. Welcome, Dean. Thanks, Gary. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me. Good to have you with us. Yes, Dean is the Technical Manager of Automatic Lubrication Systems at Lubrication Engineers and experienced at designing custom automatic systems for mining, food and beverage, manufacturing steel, mobile, and cement industries. And our other guest is Preston Rubottom. Preston, welcome. Hi, Gary. Thanks for having me. Yes, uh, and Preston is the Lubrication Reliability Solutions Manager at Lubrication Engineers, and he works with large multi-location businesses to develop comprehensive programs and provide lubrication reliability assessments, product recommendations, training, presentations, and program implementations. So between the two of you, we ought to be able to learn a little something about these systems, I would think. We uh, hope so. Uh, yeah, or, or we're in deep trouble. <laughs> uh, so let's start out. So for the people who don't know what an automatic lubrication system is, or people who think they know, but if you made them do a PowerPoint, they'd run and hide, uh, give us just a, a rundown of what these systems are and uh, how they function. So an automatic lubrication system is anything that takes a manual lubrication event or task and makes it automatic. Uh, everything from a single point lubricator operated by a spring, gas, or battery to a multi-point system feeding hundreds of points over hundreds of feet operating with an air or an electric pump. All right, and, and the, the primary purpose then is just to eliminate that, that monthly or every two weeks manual oil changes. Sure, and, it, and shorter lubrication cycles provide a fresh fresh race oil or grease and additives to properly protect surfaces. Um, it helps reduce the friction and wear. We like to put a little bit of lubrication in more often than have a lot of lubrication in as a one-time event every week or month or whatever the manufacturer recommends. Mm -hmm. So a, a continuous thing. And, mm -hmm. and we don't care if uh, oil or grease – uh, doesn't matter, uh, and viscosity doesn't matter. Does not matter. Um, there are different parameters around the different viscosities, but we can do everything from a light oil all the way up to NLGI two and a half or three, depending on how far we're pumping it and what the system is. Mm -hmm. Now, when when we do these systems, today's systems, uh, I mean, by nature, automatic, but do we also have built-in some electronics that give feedback to, say, the network? Yes, absolutely. Right now, we can hard plumb anything you want, pressure, flow, temperature, um, depends on the system type and what the customer needs, whether we provide a controller or whether we wire it to their PLC, whether they wire it to a control room. Um, there are also monitors available now that will do Wi-Fi. So I could feed, we could feed it to a... Uh, tablet to a iphone we can do cycle counts total flow like we talked about pressure flow temperature we're working there are several companies working on doing wi-fi units for feedback however none of them are currently available mm -hmm. at this juncture then uh even at the most basic level if i'm running any kind of iot or automated data collection system uh, this would feed right into that and keep me up to date on performance and condition. 
absolutely. We have several customers that uh, monitor right at the lube point and send feedback to a control panel or back to a control room that's remote. All right, so now you've eliminated the manual oil, uh, regular oil changing, and I get automated data back. So that begs the question, why doesn't everybody use them? I, and I assume there's like a long list of, of excuses. <laughs> <laughs> there's a whole list of excuses. Yeah. Okay, all right, let's talk <laughs> and, about them. <laughs> and, and Preston's going to address this part of it. Uh, it starts with, hey, my lube techs would be out of a job. Yeah, so that's, that's one of my favorite uh, phrases to address, right? So really you want to f- focus on a culture change. So you're, you're automating that task, right? So what you're going to do is, is push more of a uh, reliability aspect. So you're improving equipment reliability through automating the grease uh, manual tasks. So this allows technicians to focus on more proactive tasks instead of taking time to manually grease each point of an asset. Really, you know, keep the techs, provide better training for them or provide training period uh, needed to allow them to increase the value to bring to the organization. That would be the ultimate goal. Okay, so nobody loses their job here. We just get more, get get better at doing other things. Right, yep. And what other excuses do we get? I want, um, my, guys, I, I want my guys to put eyes on the equipment, right, Preston? You hear that all the time. Sure. Yeah, there's a certain uh, level of comfort knowing they're the – the guys that have been doing it for years, going out, hitting it with a grease gun or checking um, the oil top offs, making sure the round work is getting done. Um, but the thing to keep in mind is just that just since the lubrication tasks are automated, it doesn't mean there shouldn't be maintenance routes in place to monitor these systems. There's still lubricant levels, you know, line checks, uh, grease line, oil line checks that need to be done. And housekeeping are all important factors to to manage while, when implementing and automated system for organizations that are challenged with having sufficient maintenance staff this this sort of check just a level check and housekeeping could be handed off to operations as an autonomous maintenance task um, so it just kind of rolls into their daily checks instead of having a dedicated lube tech out there every day making these rounds I'm, all right you're just knocking them down here so uh I, and i can guess the next one they're just flat out too expensive <laughs> sure. Sure. So, you know, like Dean addressed earlier, we have uh, several different options in the market. So we have spring or, or battery powered from our gas expansion at that from maybe $40 all the way up to very elaborate multi-valve systems with high pressure, you know, getting out to $100,000 plus. It really comes down to the, the asset criticality. You know, how critical is that asset to the organization and the process of, of the organization or um, or technician safety. So if if a technician has to reach in past guards or around rotational assets to complete a lube task, what does that cost? And what does the offset of a manual greasing um, task mean to the organization? When you look at the, all the different factors there, pricing becomes somewhat irrelevant. And, and that whole safety thing, you know, to me, there's there's two aspects. There's one, just having to climb over equipment and not get burnt and not uh, trip and all those things. But the other safety part is people just saying, look, it's too much hassle to change the oil. And so I'm going to avoid it this time. And, you know, then you set off another chain of events down the line where machinery fails or uh, some part breaks. I mean, that uh, to me, that's 
that's another aspect where, you know, yeah, I changed the oil. Well, did you really? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> sure. I assume these days these things are as, just as reliable as can be. They're as reliable as anything else that's automatic. But the question of unreliability, how reliable are we as humans? We know that plants are having cutbacks in staff and budget. There's a mine here in Arizona where the lube guy's daily task list, because of the way their CMMS is written, goes out to 30 or 40 hours. Mm. Can, he, can he get all of those done in a day? And then when an emergency comes up and they call him off to go do something else, what happens? You know, Does he get back to the task? We don't know. Um, it's not only here. There's a steel mill in the Midwest where they expect the guy to lubricate 200 assets in an eight-hour day. Mm. That typically <laughs> doesn't happen. And even with lube route mapping, how is he going to get to all 200 assets in one day? Right. So, so these are these are a much more reliable um, solution. And it, again, it depends on the environment, the culture, and how much feedback they want. But just about every system we do has some form of feedback that tells you at least if the system has failed. So from that standpoint, they're much more reliable than they used to be. Now, I, I know the answer is going to be it depends. But uh, are these things complicated to install, complicated to operate? Um, yes and no. There, there's a lot to building one uh, to meet the demands of what that asset you know, lubrication looks like. Um, but we specialize in engineering these systems. We, we do it, you know, every day, day in and day out. Um, before anything moves forward, we have um, an engineering drawing provided. We help uh, walk through any, you know, maybe misunderstanding or difficulties with how the flow or what's making, you know, how the grease makes it here or oil makes it there. Um, so before anything moves forward, we have the engineering drawing. We talk through it with all the parties involved to make sure everybody is in understanding. And then as a follow-up of the uh, installation, we offer training and manuals after the system is installed and purchased. So we hope there's, there's not a lot of uh, confusion once it's installed, but, you know, there's always that, that ongoing uh, contact afterwards to assure that it's working properly. Mm-hmm. I want to spec one of these things. Where, where, where is it appropriate? Where is it a, a, a good upgrade? And where is where would you just say to somebody, nah, probably not worth your money and time? Is there are there levels of decision making here that that people need to address? Absolutely. The simplest answer is we can upgrade anything you have. The question is, what's your culture like and what kind of ROI are you looking for? Um, ideally, they work in a place where you've got a guy doing multiple lube points within a, within a confined area. So like we talked about, doing 200 lube points in a 200-foot in a span. Uh, putting a system in there makes it much easier. The ROI on that when we do it usually runs anywhere from 6 to 12 months. Um, we recently did one for multiple pellet mills where they've got three pellet mills that are separated by 100 feet each. And these things need, ideally, they were lubricating them once a day. They really want to be lubricated after every 
single batch they run through. So mm-hmm. we set it up automatically. They service multiple units. Suddenly, the guy who was running from machine to machine to machine, as you can imagine, almost all day long, now he now he goes and monitors it, makes sure the machine is running correctly. Their next step will be sending all that information back to the control room. Now, in an instance like that, I, I immediately su- see several gains where if you want to lubricate after every batch and you just mm-hmm. physically can't, I mean, that's that's got to be a gigantic gain just in reliability and performance, not not to mention just sheer cost. Sure. The, the time savings is big, but the reliability is even better. Those bearings can cost up to $2,000. Mm. Um, if, if you can add to the life of those, which we do, um, suddenly instead of changing a bearing out every two months or every, you know, 800 hours, suddenly you're running them for six months or a year if mm-hmm. you do it correctly. And the other thing you touched on was safety. The first automatic lubrication system I designed and put in was at a mine where they were dumping rock into what they called their rock quarry, and the guy was on a man lift 30 feet off the ground where he was, but the drop off the end of the conveyor was 70 feet down to the bottom. (laughs) Safety didn't like that. We were able to put a system in and lubricate. There were four points up there that had to be lubricated every month. Now they can set that up to lubricate three or four times a day, and the guy never has to get up on that machine. If you have extreme situations, then uh, you, you almost make a mistake by not looking at these uh, systems. We, we see a lot of them, um, like Preston was talking about earlier, especially single-point lubricators, we see a lot of them go on fans up on the ceiling or up on the roof. Again, not an area you want to have people in. So with safety becoming more of an issue in the time I've been involved with this, we spend a lot of time solving safety issues as well as, you know, keeping assets properly lubricated, looking at critical components, looking at failure points and saying, okay, how do we keep that from failing? And then instead of being shut down for eight hours or in the case of, you know, I go back to pellet mills, if you want to replace that main die, that can be a two day operation. Mm-hmm. So the time savings is really what you look at. Yeah. I can see the dominoes start to fall in terms of, of if a bearing goes out. Yeah, it, and well, we all know any any downtime is is expensive. It doesn't care. It doesn't matter what industry you're in, it's expensive. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, sure. The uh, and you mentioned the critical components, and that that gets to that uh, that issue of people making an honest list of all of their assets and then ranking them uh, according to how critical they are. And then uh, if I do make that list. Then I would, I would look. I, I, a mm-hmm. smart guy would look at an automated system uh, for the most critical components. And we recently did that at a cement plant. We looked, we we surveyed what they are using, and then made recommendations to upgrade where they're not using them. Or in this case, some of those systems were 20 years old. We'll come in and do a survey for you, and look at your assets. Uh, next week, I'll be in North Carolina doing just that thing at three different customers. There's definitely a positive to it, and again, we get back to culture and ROI, and everybody's looking at, with reduced manpower and reduced budget, how can I automate something quicker, easier, and with the way these systems are going, it makes it, you know, it just improves the efficiency and lowers the total cost of ownership in the end. Yeah. 
Talk to me about the actual uh, lubricant costs. You know, just just gallons of oil, buckets of grease, uh, <laughs> savings there. Sure. Um, if so, I grew up in rural Minnesota. My grandparents were farmers. How much grease do I put in this, Grandpa? Hey, until you see it coming out, <laughs> and and then it goes on the ground, right? And we've all been in plants where we see grease or oil um, misused, overused. We put filters on all of the oil systems we do. We put strainers on all of the grease systems we do. We try to keep the oil and grease cleaner. Of course, our claim to fame is we want you to run your oil longer. Um, we want you to sample it. We want to do all those things. We can build that into a system and make it easier for you to do that. But if we're getting the right amount to the bearing, and, and we have numerous tools to calculate that, or to the bushing, or to the whatever your asset is, and we're getting the right amount, rather than having a guy walk up there with an electric grease gun and, and going on the gun, probably blew the seals out, probably <laughs> over-greased your bearing, which now creates a lot of heat and friction, which makes your electricity costs go up, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So when you referred earlier to a domino effect, just getting the right amount at the right time in the right place, um, you know, it saves companies money not only on the oil and grease, but in reality on making that asset longer. Now I've lowered that TCO, and I'm a, it's, it's a win-win-win. And, and many of those are hidden costs. They're they're almost all hidden costs, which uh, then come to light when you when you see that wait, wait it isn't costing us as much to run the system. Why is that? Yes, because mm -hmm. <laughs> you're not blowing out Preston. seals. <laughs> yeah, Preston does a lot of work with people on the ROI and long term maintenance costs versus reliability improvements, and he can address that even better than I can. When we talk to customers about ROI on systems or or single point programs, you know we we kind of talk to all the factors we've already spoke to of is this a repetitive failure you know what's the downtime cost the parts and labor everything that's included and we present that roi which is most of the time relatively short um in in time span to provide a, a benefit back to the the customer um at the same time you know dean spoke about um, workforce challenges where there's simply not enough technicians out to complete the 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 lubricant task at hand. So what does automation mean in that scenario? Um, avoiding the failure, uh, avoiding the, the manpower issues, all those factors all play into ROI when looking at these more elaborate type of approaches of, of automated greasing or oils. As part of your uh, work, do you uh, help people quantify those savings, especially the hidden costs? Uh, that's got to be pretty eye-opening to them. We do. Yeah. So, you know, as a vendor, we respectfully try to provide as much applicable ROI um, and and provide that true data to them and not make it look like it's a sales pitch because we really, truly want to partner with the organization that has these challenges to be able to provide benefit or add value to the group. Mm -hmm. and, and we can use our plant as an example. We've got an ROI study that's uh, more than 10 years old now from the time we started implementing these practices in our plant in 2008. And we're always happy to share that information. Systems themselves, there must be uh, some maintenance on them that uh, comes into play. Is it 
significant? Um, it depends on whether you manage the system like you manage the rest of your equipment. There are monitors in there. Obviously, we use a lot of low-level monitors, so we don't run the pumps out of grease or oil. But there's change-out procedures, and there is one mine that shall remain unnamed that pulls the pump out of the keg and sets it right on the right on the dirt on the ground and clogs <laughs> the strainer up and then complains that the pump isn't working properly <laughs> or the pump this pump only lasted three months there's always issues we try to do the training to get around those we have a lot of built-in monitors that will tell you if something went wrong with the system we never want to put a system in without some kind of feedback whether it's a pressure switch whether it's a cycle switch, whether it's a low-level monitor, whether it's an overpressure monitor. Um, again, we can tailor those to the customer's needs, but just about every system you're going to get from us is going to have some kind of monitoring on it, unless you tell us you absolutely don't want anything. When it comes to monitoring, and it, one of the things that, that enters my mind is you mentioned about filtration. Do, mm -hmm. do, do we end up with these systems with better filtration than you would uh, if you put something directly on the asset or if something was built in? I, I assume that we have better control over uh, filtration. And, uh... Absolutely. 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 If, you're, if you're going to take, and even if you use a closed container and pump it like we do in our plant from one closed system into another closed system and dump it into the machine, we don't we've filtered it in and out but what happens between the time we put it in that container and move it over to the machine there's always going to be some kind of debris some kind of dirt getting into that system so if we keep them closed like we do and we train people how to fill them and monitor them through filter carts or through a closed um, container we have a much better advantage because we've got filtration built into the system already mm -hmm. and that will catch some of the stuff that maybe improper lubrication practices will will introduce is that still a struggle uh point for people <laughs> in terms of storing and transferring oils and greases so that when they actually go into the system they're as clean as possible Preston, you take this one because you see a lot more of it than I do. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> we see it every day. We see it every day. Um, you know, our big thing, how we approach customers is, hey, treat your lubricant like an asset. So that's that's proper storage and handling. And that's treating it like an asset within the asset. So filtration and oil analysis, you know, creating that mindset uh, change or, or the culture shift, like I spoke to earlier, to truly treat it like an asset and keep it clean and dry and, and stored properly, not only helps protect the asset, but it also protects the lubricant providing maybe double or, or three, you know, two or three times the life of the lubricant if you were to just store it in the drum and put it in a pail and dump it into the asset. Um, it, it significantly pays itself back when properly handled. So even today with all we know, we still have a lot of people, uh, when they put oil or grease into the into the asset, already have one or two strikes against them just because of storage and transfer. Absolutely, yeah. Hmm. Uh, cross contamination through most, you know, most practices we see is is a huge contributor to degradation. So um, you know, lubricants don't really 
they're not built to play well with others. So an engine oil um, could wipe out a turbine oil if it's cross-contaminated cross going into an asset. Um, it's just a lot of chemistry differences there that, that need to be addressed and stored properly. Talk about the IAOT automation data management end of things. Um, people sure. able to, to build that into, easily build that into their CMMS systems and their uh, digital twin systems and, and really take advantage of the data that is, is generated? Again, it depends on the sophistication of the customer, but take, take oven chain systems, for instance. Most of our customers want to route that to their PLC where they've got a flat screen sitting up there and it's going to tell them, hey, a lube event is happening. Hey, the lube event has happened. Um, here's what we saw. We have another one, large one at a mine where they actually feed this back several hundred feet to a control panel that says your lubricant event has started. You've achieved this much lubrication. Your lubricant event has ended. Um, there's a lot of ways to build that in. There's a lot of ways to build it into the CMMS. Again, it depends on the sophistication of the customer, but we can help them with that. Um, if we can't, we've got a couple of partners that we use, and we build. We will build custom PLCs for them if they need that, other than the standard controllers we have, which will tell you all of the things we've already talked about, pressure, event, happening, on idle, alarms. Um, you know, we can send alarms out in any format you want, horn, signal, light, you name it, we can do that. And I don't think people are as aware of those as preventive measures. We recently took systems that had been in at a mine on six different ball mills. And, and I'm sitting with the manager, and he says, well, you know, that's all great. But, you know, if I upgrade, I want to have this and this put into the controller. And I started laughing. He goes, why are you laughing? I said, you've already got that capability here. Yeah. Let, me show you the, let me show you where the fault con contacts are on the controller that will tell you this. <laughs> so for for us a lot of it is just simple education yes just teaching and training the customers not only on lube systems but like preston was talking about cross-contamination um one of our trainers who has has uh did a lot of training for us he's an external resource talked about one quart of engine oil can contaminate a tanker load of turbine oil to the point where it's unusable hmm Customers don't understand. They think grease is grease and oil is oil, just like I did growing up on the farm. So right. our, our big thing is education. That's the biggest thing is yeah. just training customers. Well, gentlemen, thank you. I learned things. Good. Yes. Thank Good. You. That's our intent. And thank you for having us. <laughs> well, we enjoyed the conversation. And um, if you're interested in automated lubrication systems, uh, these guys will help you out at Lubrication Engineers.